Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Burkan Dandia. In this week's episode, I welcome Angelique McLeod, who is an author and model based in Calgary. In this episode, Angelique shares her story of adversity from being raped as a teenager and then being in an abusive marriage. Angelique also shares how she was able to find her way out of her relationship and choosing to be a single mom on her own. Angelique then describes the inspiration behind her self-help book, Whole Nation, The Self-Recovery Movement. Uh, Throughout this episode, I was really taken aback by how honest and vulnerable Angelique was, and that's something I mentioned to her as well, but I hope that's something you can also pick up on. And uh, at the end of the episode, if you could leave a five-star review, I would truly appreciate it. All right, Angelique, uh, thank you for joining the Easy Conversations podcast. Super grateful for you to take the time. And I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to have today. So yeah, really grateful that you're here. Uh, But before we get started, I just want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and talk about what it is that you do uh, on a day-to-day basis. And then we'll kind of get into your journey with mental health. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on your your podcast. I, I really appreciate it. I'm Angelique McLeod. Um, I am a mother of two beautiful uh, little girls, 11 and 15. 15 today, actually. My oldest daughter turns 15. Um, and besides that, I am a full-time business development executive with a marketing communications company. So that takes a lot of my time. Um, I'm also an author. So I wrote a self-help book called Whole Nation, The Self-Recovery Movement, all about recovering the self that you lost or you, you didn't even know for most of your life. And, uh, and then I'm also a model. So I model with Patty Faulkner Agency and I am uh, internationally published. That's a little bit about me. Well, that's exciting. Uh, your plate's obviously really full, it sounds like. So how, how do you manage it? Like, how do you keep... Uh... You know how do you prioritize things and and obviously you know mental health is a priority for you so how do you keep that at the forefront so i'll be really honest um i am not an expert when it comes to how to manage my life effectively i'm still working on that and it really is a, a work in progress um up until just this month I found that I was just piling on everything. I'm very much, uh, I fall in in line with with a lot of us um, wanting to be a pleaser, wanting everyone to feel like their needs are being met. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, I've always said yes. And um, just making it happen, stretching out as many hours in a day as I possibly can and making it work for what needs to be done. However, um, this past month, I hit a wall, and it was the first time really in my life where I I had hit a wall, and physically, emotionally, mentally, I couldn't bring anything to the table, and I just remember going into work one day and thinking, what have I done? Like, really just taxed my whole system, 
So um, I started clearing out my schedule, not saying yes to everything, not saying yes to anything at all, and allowing myself to have absolute peace and quiet. And that has slowly allowed me to ramp back up to a functional state. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's good that you were able to recognize that because um, a lot, a lot of people do. Um, and then eventually there's burnout, right? So, yes. so you want to get- Especially during the pandemic, burnout is more prevalent than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to be able to kind of differentiate between when do you end work? You know, how do you prioritize other things? Because it's easy to like let go of the things that are important. And I kind of went through that uh, earlier this year too, where, you know, I put my physical health kind of on the sidelines because I had an excuse. Gyms weren't open. And um, and then, you, you know, you, you, at some point you have to realize that those things are important and you have to be able to prioritize them. So, um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. I, I guess for, for, you know, like what really resonated with me, especially when, you know, you talked about your book and like just on the self-recovery piece, you like my interpretation was that you were trying to kind of destigmatize some of the things we we don't really talk about right and and obviously self-love is one of those things but just to kind of uh, put it into context based on your journey through life what really inspired you to not only share your story but also write a book about it well you know, I always had this idea in my head that I was going to someday write a book. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it just manifested over time of me repeating that thought or not. But I remember, you know, going through school, you know, as, as a young child and being bullied and thinking this can't all be for nothing. Like, there's got to be some sort of um, you know, reason for all of this. And, you know, then I became, you know, I went through a bunch of abuse, sexual assault, I was raped, uh, I got into an abusive marriage, I, you know, was a pregnant teen, there was so much. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, how could I not document this at some point, because it really is like a television series on its own. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, uh, to 2020 in March of 2020, when the pandemic was coming into Canada, I got pneumonia, thought I was going to die. Um, you know, it's, there's nothing worse than your breath being taken from you. It's an awful feeling. It was like drowning. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember thinking if, if I die, what will I have regretted? And a lot of those regrets were around my own self-limiting beliefs and behaviors and how I was holding myself back from reaching my potential since, you know, my, my early years. And so I thought, okay, well, if I do recover from this and if everything turns out to be okay and I can keep living my life, my promise and my commitment to myself is to take back who I am and write a book about it and be completely raw and honest about everything that I face, because there's going to be somebody out there mm-hmm. who is facing something similar or repeating those same sorts of patterns and beliefs mm-hmm. that if they can learn from me, even one thing, that's what I want to leave behind. Yeah. Yeah. And that's powerful. Right. And, and I think 
if if we have that intention of whether it's even one person that we can help that's huge collectively as a world if we all had that ambition right and that's how i look at things and, and it's interesting for you you know when when we really come to that awareness of our own mortality it it brings a lot of things to awareness right and that's something i've been talking about recently quite a lot with with the people in my community is is this aspect of mortality and, and how we take things for granted and, and how can we create peace within ourselves in the present moment? So, you know, I find it really fascinating that, you know, you had to, you had your own journey of coming to that conclusion and wanting to share your story that you may have been putting off for some time. Right. But yes. was, was there any fear around, obviously, you know, you shared some aspects of your, of your like, you know, teenage years, was there any fear of like sharing all that and exposing yourself? And, and, you know, maybe there's always that, and maybe it wasn't for you, but I know for myself, there's always that fear of shame, judgment. Did you experience any of that? Uh, and how were you able to kind of work through it? I experienced that a lot. Um, as I was writing the book, even, you know, chapter by chapter, I was divulging so much personal stuff you know baggage and not the good stuff that you want to share you know it's really the stuff that we're told you know please just don't air your dirty laundry right? yeah. and, and I remember hearing my mother's voice in my head constantly what are you doing what are you doing and and I thought you know I'm so sick of living a life where I'm living by should you know I I've, I want to just finally have nothing to hide. So even if somebody says, oh, Angelique did this at one point in her life or, or whatever, I can, I can own it, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's how we break down shame is by having nothing to hide at all, right? And yeah. really it's, it's me. And what I've learned is by, you know, slowly by sharing pieces of myself, I do it every day um, or every week, at least on my, um, on my Instagram, by opening up and sharing those really scary things. What I'm noticing is that people actually resonate with that message mm -hmm. and they, you know, the connection that we have becomes even stronger. Absolutely. Yeah. I was actually talking to a friend yesterday about vulnerability and, and, you know, if you're in a room full of people, it's very hard for people to be vulnerable, right? And, and as long as one person's taking that courageous step, it makes it, it takes the pressure off everyone else because they're like, okay, well, this person's being vulnerable. Like, you know, now I can be vulnerable. I'm not going to be the only one. So, you know, I think there's power in that too. When, when you're kind of being vulnerable yourself, you're empowering others as well. So, you know, uh, I commend you for doing that. Um, I guess one of the things I wanted to understand, like, you know, to be able to face that much adversity early on in life, um, you know, most people obviously never get out of that burden of, of just things keep piling on or they just feel like the victim and rightfully so. What were you able to do through, you know, like those years as you were becoming an adult to be able to keep your head above water and, and power through um, and, and look at adversity as an opportunity? You know, I don't think I figured it out when I was a teenager. I don't think I figured it out even in my early adulthood. Mm. Um, I don't think I started figuring out 
there's a rhyme and a reason to this. I, 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 I had an inkling of it, but I couldn't even really grasp that concept um, until, you know, 2018, 2019, um, when I was just reading a lot of self-help books, you know, and my sobriety was what got me launched into that, right? And then it raised my awareness to, okay, well, you know, this has to have a purpose. This now has a reason. And, and it was all starting to click at that point. But before that, honestly, I, I really have to say that I leaned on music to get me through most of my life. Music was the most helpful way for me to resonate with someone else's pain and turn it around. Um, and that was there. That was therapy for me um, growing up. But there were there were so many days, more days than not, where I felt hopeless and life was a burden. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know how else I held on besides the fact that I just uh, I really I worked very hard. I know that I was very regimented in, in everything that I did. Huge organizer of my day just fit as much as I possibly could in. And I think that's a typical survival strategy distract, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but then it was also music and really just anchoring myself in, in those two things. But yeah, 2018, 2019 is when I really took on personal development and started to see that everything makes sense for a reason. Mm. Do you mind expanding on how music helped? Because I mean, I can understand, like I, I do find music therapeutic too at times. Um, especially when I'm in certain moods where music can lift me up. But I guess not everyone understands that. So like, do you mind sharing like in your uh, experience how music was able to, to help you and, and what were some of the things uh, music did for you? Absolutely. Well, I grew up singing. Um, singing was a really big thing to me. And when I sang words, it wasn't just singing them. I felt them. Um, and there was, I needed to anchor myself in what the lyrics were. So, you know, I would listen to music that really reflected how I felt and, and then feel through that feeling. And, and that was the thing. I was actually creating space in a safe way for myself to feel those feelings and to release them, mm -hmm. which was, was, which was, yeah, kind of therapeutic to be honest, but you know, even listening to, to something like slow cellos or classical music, right? I, I lived in a very stressful environment, mm -hmm. right? Um, my home life wasn't good at all. Going to school wasn't good at all. And I remember having a teacher, actually, she started this. I, I must have been in kindergarten or grade one. And while we were learning, she would turn on classical music or Enya, and we would just listen to it. And it just caused such a calm over the whole room. And I decided to take that into my home life. So I would listen to music, especially when I was quite stressed out and it would just bring me back down to a really nice baseline. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, and I guess, you know, you mentioned being sober now for a few years uh, and that's obviously propelled your, your kind of journey around awareness and some of the work you're doing now, uh, especially with writing the book, what in, on that front, what inspired you? And, and like, did you feel like alcohol was kind of like a crutch for, for years, especially going through some of the things you mentioned? 
but re what really was your kind of moment of like, okay, maybe this is what I need to do uh, to change things in my life? Yeah, so I had been partaking in alcohol since I was about 12 years old. I found some in the basement at my parents' house. They weren't the best at hiding things. Um, and I like to experiment. I was very impulsive and okay, let's just see what this does. And, um, and, and I remember just the buzz, the feeling that I got off of it and thinking, wow, that's, that's different. That's kind of a good feeling. Yeah. And in my teenage years, you know, I, I was with the wrong crowd for sure. And, um, and so got into drinking a lot of alcohol and being that party girl. And then I became a mom at 19 and can't obviously do that. Um, but I was in an abusive relationship. So yeah, I would come home after work, I would have a bottle of wine, and I'd go to bed and, you know, rinse and repeat. And it was no different than most people who were around me at work saying, Oh, yeah, tonight, you know, definitely a wine night. And so it became, you know, that justification for having a bad day. And it became that that thing to go to when you wanted to celebrate. And really mm -hmm. it was just a habit that I fell into. And I didn't start to associate the, the feeling of it was my salvation for mm -hmm. a while. I didn't, I didn't really recognize that until I had left my abusive marriage and I was single mom on my own first time I had ever had to pay bills or, you know, go grocery shopping on my own. And it was just so overwhelming. And I remember using it as medication. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking if I'm numb, I can't break down. So for me, it was a long journey to get to being a full-fledged alcoholic. Um, but what what stopped me, because there was a year that I actually almost survived um, alcohol and without going back to it and mm -hmm. then you know went on a trip to Mexico and if we're in Mexico I'll be fine it's just a week um, that's not how it ended up being I was back and being a full alcoholic and it was even worse than the time before um, and I remember I was in a band I decided you know oh, it's St. Patrick's Day you know I'm gonna go out and drink and I drank so much and I drove home and I don't know how I got home. I just remember driving into the garage and parking the car and I thought, holy shit, what have I done? I don't know how I got here. I don't know if I ran lights. I don't know if, if, if I've hit somebody, like I have no idea it's gone. And that terrified me to the point I thought, I'm so lucky that A, I'm home alive, that nothing has happened and that I got a second chance here. Don't screw it up. And so the very next day, because it was already quite late at night, um, I went to Indigo. I grabbed myself six different self-help books and it was just, I have to get to the root of this. And it, you know, the awareness that I had, it told me somehow that the underlying issue to the alcohol, which was the Band-Aid, was my self-esteem. You know, it was the reason that I needed to numb was because I didn't feel like I was enough and I couldn't keep up and all of those feelings of failure. So I needed to replace, you know, that, that addiction 
and that calming and self-soothing with something that was actually going to benefit me, mm-hmm. which ended up being um, my personal development, which then over time became the book. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's amazing. And it's, you know, again, I think it's, it's fascinating in the sense because we all have, most of us, I would say, have those moments where we do get that second chance and we feel like, okay, we don't look at it as a second chance. We're like, oh, okay, I can do this again. I got away with it. And, and when you really look at it as a second chance, it really changes your mindset. And, you know, kudos to you, you were able to run with it, right? So that's important. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things you touched on from, you know, you know, you talked about the rape uh, early in life uh, and then the abuse of marriage. Um, one of the things I want to understand, because we've touched on shame already, but there's a lot of shame around when we experience things in life where the narrative we have for ourselves is I deserve it or I'm not worthy of anything better. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people experience that. And I just want to understand, was that kind of your dialogue to yourself at any point? And if it was, you know, what was it like and how were you able to get out of it? Like, you know, I'm sure like there was other people in your lives who were there as well that you were probably talking to about it, but yeah, just kind of walk us through that journey. Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll speak specifically to my rape because I was quite young when it happened. I was 13. I met uh, an older guy at the mall and he took advantage of me. Um, but, you know, it's never just that simple. It's mm-hmm. never it's never just a story of, oh, and it just happened. I don't know how it happened, which is what leads to the shame. I was 13 years old. I was being homeschooled. I was home alone. I invited this guy over and I dressed in some very inappropriate stuff thinking, you know, hey, this is what's going to impress him and get his attention. And I flirted with fire and I got burnt. And for me, it, it absolutely was. I don't want anyone to know about this because I wasn't supposed to be at home doing this. My parents, you know, very highly, highly religious people um, would be very upset about that entire thing, right? Um, And so I kept it completely to myself. I never spoke of it, never said anything about it, didn't go for counseling for it right away Um, until, you know, I was about 15 years old. So I held on to that for two years. And I emailed it to a boyfriend at the time who it was long distance. And Mm -hmm. I wrote him and I said, I just want to tell you about what happened to me. Mm -hmm. And two days later, my mom came into my computer room and let me know that she hacked into my email and she found that letter. And she said, I can't believe that you would tell him something like that. And I said, well, but it's true. And she laughed at me and she didn't, she, she thought I was lying. Mm. And so for me, it became even more shameful because now my own mother doesn't believe me and now my secrets out and there's, you know, and, and so it became an even, I I was a victim who became victimized Mm. again. Right. Mm. And so 
being able to share that, I couldn't share that again until I was an adult and I did go for therapy and was able to talk through it. Um, but in those moments, I had no one but myself. And what I can say to anyone who experiences something like that or, or anyone who knows someone who is experiencing it is you don't have to say anything. You don't have to try to make it go away and to fix mm -hmm. it. Just listen. Listen, and that is all you need to do. Just be an unconditional support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, that's powerful. And I can't even imagine what it must have been like to keep all that to yourself at such a young age. Like, <laughs> you know, like just trying to understand how were you able to like even like get through? I don't, like, yeah. I don't know how I have how I have this kind of perseverance. <laughs> There's clearly yeah. a reason for it, which yeah. I know that at some point I'll, I'll understand, but. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, I, someone said it, and I, I don't remember if it was another podcast or Rory, I think might have been mm -hmm. that, you know, how did he frame it, that God gives the hardest battles to the strongest soldiers. Yeah, and yeah. Thought, yeah, I'll take that. I'll, I'll be the strong one then. Challenge accepted. Yeah, yeah. No, I've heard a variation of that. It's like, you know, God doesn't give you what you can't handle. So yes. yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, no, that's, that's amazing. And, and I guess kind of like, you know, even with your marriage, like, obviously difficult. Um, yeah, like, what was that like, in terms of shame and guilt? Like, how were you able to like, at one point, decide that, okay, you know, like, this is not for me? Yeah, it was, it was hard. I was pregnant at 19. Uh, with a guy that I didn't even really like. Um, it, it ended up just being, you know, two families who were very committed to their religious uh, ways and wanted us to get married. Mm -hmm. um, I was told by my uh, future father-in-law-to-be that, uh, yeah, it's trailer trash if you guys don't get married. So um, we went for the big wedding. And I remember the day of our wedding, I, I gave him a call and I said, I just want to make sure, do you love me? And he said, well, if you have to ask that question, don't effing show up. And I hung up the phone and I thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This mm -hmm. is a big mistake. But because I was so worried about what everybody else is going to think, I, yeah, I, I put myself in that situation and, and I got married and the marriage was not good. It was quite abusive. Um, it was abusive psychologically and emotionally at first, mm -hmm. and then progressively it became sexual, financial, and then finally physical. Mm. And I started to feel, I started to feel like there was no escape. Um, we were at that point, not you know, only with one child, but I was now pregnant with our second mm. um, and thinking how, how, how is a woman who has, you know, just sort of a job, but not a very high paying job. How am I going to get away with two kids and a non-supportive family? Mm -hmm. This is crazy. So, you know, I held it together and I went into an eating disorder and I 
um, I self-harmed and I drank and I did everything. And I always say this, I'm, I'm quite thankful to myself, even though I had addictions and even though I had an eating disorder and even though, even though, even though, the, that was my way of coping to get me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. And so I am grateful that I was able to do whatever I needed to, to get through those moments, but they took me to very dark places. And it wasn't until um, years later, um, my youngest was two. And, um, and I remember going to work uh, it was Calgary Stampede. We have a big stampede here. Yeah. And uh, and it was 35 degrees outside uh, Celsius. Very, very, very uh, hot. And I was wearing a big jean jacket over top of my outfit. And one of my colleagues said, hey, why are you wearing that when it's so hot outside? You're sweating. Yeah. You look sick. And I said, I can't take it off. And she inquired a little bit more. And then I said, all right, well, let me show you. And there was a grapefruit size bruise on my arm that I was trying to hide from where I got hit by my, um, by my husband. And she was such an angel. And she, she said, you know, I, I want you to leave. Here's a number of, you know, shelters, women's shelters that, you know, you should be giving them a call. Here's how to set up a bank account where you can slowly start to, mm. to put money aside for yourself, but you know, you got to be safe. Mm-hmm. And because she said that she gave me permission to leave. And I think I was holding out because I needed permission. I didn't, I, I, I had an out suddenly that someone believed that I could have. Um, the next day I called my mother and I said, I need to meet with you. We have to have a talk. And so I sat down and I told her what was going on. She said, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And I said, just hold on just wait until I'm ready. And she said, okay. So she knew about that. And, and then I went to the bank and I did what I needed to do. And then that night a fight broke out between the two of us and it got very physical. And then I called 911 and the cops came and they arrested my husband and took him away. And there was charges that were pressed and Yeah, it was a lot, but it was what, what took me to that decision to make that call that night was that someone had actually given me permission and told me that I wasn't wrong for, Mm. for, for, you know, I wasn't a bad person for being in that relationship. And that was what made it possible to leave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, uh, that's powerful stuff. So, you know, thank you for sharing that again. And, and you know, I, uh, I'm just amazed at your vulnerability. So uh, I just want to thank you for that as well. Um, I guess, shifting gears a little bit, uh, you know, and we kind of talked about this offline a little bit as well. But, you know, kind of the theme from early in your life, just wanting, you know, you had this whole like, okay, people pleasing kind of thing. And how have you been able to now and you touched on it earlier too, being able to say no to things that you know that aren't serving you. And that's, I think that takes a lot of effort and self-awareness to get to that point where you're just like, I don't care what you think, but this doesn't work for me. Um, yeah, how's that feel to get there? And and like, yeah. Well, I mean, it's still a journey. I'll be honest. There are still days where I am 
you know, super concerned about what people think about me, right? But it just, it's because I got to practice. I got to keep practicing, right? Yeah. It's got to be my daily practice of no, 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 no. Um, but yeah, I, I had always wanted to please people. And I always wanted to, like, I tell people this all the time. I was bullied in school my entire childhood. And I didn't know how to act because every single day I changed my approach uh, like a little ninja, trying to figure out people and the puzzle that they wanted me to be, right? I tried to be that, that piece to fit and I could never get it right. And I just remember thinking, this is so frustrating. And you know, becoming an adult, I felt the same thing, you know, I'd go into a room to network with people and it's, you know, I didn't want to have the high level boring conversations. I wanted to have deep, meaningful conversations that meant something, right? And, and you know, I would just think, oh, no, 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 just keep talking to this person because they're wanting to talk to you about the weather. And I just, you know, sort of stuff my feelings. And I thought, I don't feel good stuffing my feelings. And after going to work and stuffing my feelings and coming home and stuffing my feelings and just stuffing myself up like, you know, a garbage bag, at some point, I had no more room to fit another piece of, you know, feelings, and they started to come out and I started to lose my temper at the weirdest times and I started to get frustrated with things and lash out and just, it, I felt raw and I thought, why do I feel this way? And it was because I was trying to live for other people and I was getting really resentful at them. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm only hurting myself by shoving all of this down. I'm not giving myself what I need. And if, if I think I'm going to wait for anyone else to fit, like to, to meet my needs, I'll be waiting forever. Yeah. So I need to do this for me. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to, to actually say my truth and see what happens. And I remember the first time that I did and I thought, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen here? This person is going to like, they're gonna shut me out forever, right? Yeah. I will lose this person. I will lose my family. I will lose whatever. And after saying it, the worst case scenario didn't happen. And from that point forward, every single time that I thought the worst case scenario would happen, it didn't which leads me to believe worst case scenario doesn't really exist anywhere but our heads. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, that's well said. You're right. I think we, we imagine this scenario up uh, to your point, the worst case scenario. And, and we just use that as our excuse not to honor ourselves. So yeah. I'm glad you've been able to, you know, work through that. And to your point, it is a journey. I think, uh, for, for a lot of people, right, myself included, I think it takes a lot of effort and, and diligence because you've been programmed a certain way your entire life and now you're trying to, you know, change those patterns. So with anything, uh, it, it takes time. So, so. Well, and, and yeah, and, and further to that, I mean, I talk about it in my book, but I mean, it's, it's so true and can be applied anywhere, but why do we live a one size fits all approach life mm -hmm. and believe that we should all be treated in a one size fits all way? We, we aren't, we're all very unique and we're all very, very different living, very different lives. So 
yeah, there isn't a one size fits all. So yeah, neither should we. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to touch on with you was like, uh, we talked about this as well. But, you know, as a model, you know, you obviously you're an attractive person. And, you know, there, <laughs> there's a there's a stigma around, uh, like, when people look at someone, you know, and we have this tendency to judge a book by its cover, right? So it's, you know, you look at someone, you're like, well, what can be your problem? Like, what could you be really dealing with and and obviously there's a lot of things for a lot of people but you know once you kind of go below the surface you you don't really appreciate what people may be dealing with right and you've shared a lot of your history uh but do you ever feel that and and when you do what what are some things you do to kind of like not feel bad for feeling bad yeah yeah if i if i understood you right um i'll answer it this way being a model doesn't make me any different from anyone else. I still have, I still have fears. I still have self-doubt. I still constantly measure myself up to a bar that I didn't even set. Someone else set and I'm trying to reach it and I'm hitting a wall, right? And so, I mean, I am still my hardest critic and constantly try to figure out, okay, how can I do better, right? And there have been times where I've thought to myself, holy crap, I'm in a room full of girls who have like the best bodies. And here I am after having two kids, stretch marks. I had, you know, I've, I've put on so much weight over, you know, my two pregnancies that I have stretched my abs into, you know, something that Freddy Krueger could, you know, have worked on. And, and I, you know, I don't have that physique. So how can I ever measure up? But here's the thing. It's not about all of that. You have to be a full package of a human being, right? One little section of you doesn't define you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I've seen people with scars. I've got scars. You just, that doesn't make you who you are you can still be the most beautiful person still have a scar you can still have you know be the most beautiful person still have loose skin around your your waist right doesn't really matter mm -hmm. when i feel those feelings though because that is present in all of us it's it really is that survival that instinctual thing of got to be the the fittest to win yeah. um you know i i go inward because if i'm looking outward and I'm judging everything based on, okay, what I see is a threat to me. That means that I'm not grounded mm -hmm. and I need to ground myself and I need to meet my own needs because there's an, a need that isn't being met. And that little girl inside of me is crying. So I need to stop everything and go to the little girl inside of me and say, sweetheart, what's wrong? And find out, right? I have those conversations with my time, sorry, with myself all the time. Just the other day, I was in my apartment, and you know, it's it's cold outside. I don't want to go outside, but I don't know what else to do. And I'm getting lonely, and I'm bored of eating, and I'm eating like way too much. And and all I'm thinking is, okay, I'm just like, stop. What 
is going on mm-hmm. and it's okay well I I feel bored okay well underneath boredom what is it I don't feel like I'm enough because I'm not doing enough right now I should be producing something okay well what do you want to produce well nothing because I'm too tired right and then you know keep asking keep asking keep asking okay well I want to feel loved okay well how can I make myself feel loved I want to watch a movie and have some hot popcorn and I want to have some tea and that's what I want to do okay And so I made that happen for myself and Mm. boy, did I feel good? I didn't need anything after that. I didn't feel bad about anything after that, but how much of our lives do we just go through without asking ourselves this question meeting our own needs and then looking at the rest of the world thinking I need to make you feel bad or I need to judge you in order to lift myself up, but that's Mm -hmm. the wrong way to do it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, a message in there too, that, you know, if, we need to be comfortable being with ourselves. And and that's a lot of people struggle with that. And then once we are with ourselves, granting ourselves the permission to be able to do things that we feel good about and and not feel guilty, right? I mean, you could have felt guilty about eating popcorn, but you know, that's what you needed in that moment. And, and you know, you gave yourself that permission. So that's, I mean, a great point. And I guess, for for girls that or women in general that kind of put that pressure have that bar set for them you know because there is a lot of pressure that comes with looking a certain way what kind of message can you you know share with them and and I know you talked about a lot of looking inward but like what kind of message can you share with with girls out there that are struggling in similar ways well what I can say is that (sighs) we all face it we all face it because we've all been programmed to believe that there is an ideal look that Mm -hmm. there is an ideal woman out there and here's what we bring to the table we bring our personalities we bring our smiles we bring our laughter into every room and women have hearts big big hearts that nurture and love and that really is our light and I want you know, in, in my perfect world, I want less emphasis to be placed on how we appear. We need to honor the fact that we were given these bodies because these bodies are what transport us from every place that we need to be to every place we need to go. They help us create life. I mean, we're really hard on ourselves and hard on our bodies, but really, you know, we're spiritual beings trying to have a human experience. Mm -hmm. And if we can just honor our bodies more and say, you got me here, right? And if we can accept each version of ourselves, because I, at 34, I'm not the version of myself I was when I was five. And I'm not going to be the same version in another, you know, one minute versus, you know, five years. So We need to just stop believing that someone else's standard of what was considered beautiful at one time, right? Really, that's what we agreed to was, okay, well, whoever it was, Coco and Chanel or or whomever, right? Doesn't matter. Whoever said that you have to be a size zero, you can't, you know, have short hair, you can't have a buzz cut, whatever it is, right? Yeah. That person, we silently agreed to let them create the rule, but that's not our definition. The mm-hmm. definition is what's in here and the light that we can shine in the world. 
No, that's that's beautiful and a uh, perfect way to end it. So thank you so much. That was uh, well said. <laughs> um, I guess for listeners that want to get a hold of you or, you know, uh, find find you on Instagram or yes, your book, please. Uh, yeah. What are some ways they can do that? Okay, well, you can absolutely go to my website, AngeliqueMcLeod.com, and there is an icon for Instagram. That's where I mostly interact and engage with uh, with, with people. Um, on my Instagram, there is also a link to my book in my bio um, that you can get on Amazon. It's paperback or Kindle edition, and yeah, that's about it. But always feel free to reach out and say hi. I do interact all the time with my followers and really appreciate those connections. No, that's amazing. And I'll put that, uh, all those links in the, in the show notes as well. So people can access Mm -hmm. them. But yeah, again, I want to thank you for coming on here, being so vulnerable and being honest and, you know, sharing so much of yourself. So I I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, super grateful that you shared this space with me. So thank you. Absolutely. Have a wonderful holiday. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. As always, please subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy the episodes or leave a comment in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. Thank you again and until next week.